Hey everybody, welcome to episode 126 of the Metal Detecting Show podcast. My name is Kieran, and I have been detecting for 30 years and I'm still crap at it. This week we talk about data streams and what I mean is display VDI, audio cues to help you detecting. We also have a doctor detector question and we obviously go through some housekeeping and stuff at the start. So I suppose let's get into it. So yeah, let's start with the housekeeping. So next week will be the Christmas episode, which will generally just be the normal Christmassy stuff. And then I'll take a break for two weeks, returning on the 11th of January. So that's good news. And then other good news is there's a feature-length episode of The Detectorists coming out over Christmas. I think it's on Stevens's Day on BBC, which I'm super excited about. So... um. We can imagine I will have some comment on that when we return on the 11th. I want to thank everybody for all their love after last week's podcast. It was very unique. <laughs> that was, was some of the commentary. Um, so much so my wife even listened to it. Uh, she thought it was brilliant. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed doing it from the beach. And I'm set up now to do more of the same going forward into the future. So watch this space. I may do it again. This week, we talk about display versus audio. And what I mean here is which data stream has the most information? Should you use both and whether you should prioritize one over the other? So let's start by looking at the potential data streams coming at you with your detector. Obviously, there is audio and visual, but some detectors have haptic feedback, which is really just another name for vibration. Now, audio and visual can be broken down further into differing types. So let's start with audio because it is the most common data stream coming from every detector since the invention of the detector, I think. So this relates to all your detectors. So if you look at your detector's audio, you can probably identify a few things that your audio can tell you, most common being the simple tone of the target. Some detectors represent this as a change in the threshold tone, particularly in older models. Tone represents a change in the signal phase, but most modern detectors represent this with some form of digital overlay. And this is a fundamental point. If you peel the layers or signal processing away, all detectors represent the induced or received signal in relation to the difference or change of the transmitted signal. These audio data streams or digital overlays create nuance and granularity, allowing you to further process the signal with your brain, making an educated decision on whether you dig or don't dig. There are loads of options out there, but the most common being aligning a tone pitch to whether the received signal sits on the conductivity scale be it three tones, five tones. My favorite, by the way, is five tones or 50 tones or 100 tones. The concept is the same. Each tone represents a range on the conductivity scale. For example, the lowest pitch tone is normally reserved for ferrous targets with the highest pitched tone representing targets in the silver or high conductivity range. Using multi-tones requires you to have a great ear in hearing the difference between tones especially the more tones you have. Even the tone itself has audio features that are being utilized in creating more audio digital overlay, such as tone volume, 
which can be adjusted depending on whether a target is ferrous or non-ferrous. Other models will align a pitch tone to a ferrous target, but will play that tone along with the more prominent tone, creating a two-tone chirp, indicating a potentially good target, but also indicating the first portion of the signal with a pre-selected first tone. What is happening here is that normally when discriminating ferrous targets, the null that gets created in the signal is coupled with a good tone would normally create a scratchy signal or a niffy signal. But with the assigned ferrous tone, the nulled portion of the signal is replaced with the ferrous tone creating a two-tone signal instead of a scratchy or iffy tone. And talking about null is an interesting and a must-have when chatting about metal detecting. Null or no sound is often ignored or misunderstood by beginners and even long-standing detectorists. A perfect example of null is when you listen to your threshold while swinging over a discriminated target. You will hear the threshold tone drop off to null. No sound whatsoever. It goes, mm, mm. That is a powerful signal and no different than the ferrous tones modern detectors are marketing. Null and your threshold tone are a must to understand as it accounts for where your scratchy signals are coming from. Your detector is nulling out the iron portion of the signal. A lot of people miss this and how powerful it can be, even having your threshold up high enough to be a constant hum in your ears is a feature long forgotten about with modern detectors, but they all still allow you to adjust the volume and tone of the threshold. I use a high threshold volume all the time as it allows me to listen to the iron underfoot as it nulls out. Just look at older detectors, they have a knob specifically for adjusting the threshold volume. So that's audio really I suppose. So let's move on to visual data streams, the obvious being the VDI. Nearly every modern detector has some form of visual representation of where the signal lies in whatever specific VDI range the model has. Most represent this as a number between minus 10 to 80 or 100. This allows you to visually identify what the target may be. Like audio, it's normally aligned to some form of the conductivity scale with the ferrous targets being in the minus numbers to normally around 10 or so on the range. And the higher you go indicates a higher conductivity in the target. And every VDI is a variation on this concept with other digital overlays being added just like audio. For example, a separate VDI for the iron content of the target. This can be a second number or a second bar, or if a mine lab machine like the CTX or Manticore, a 2D scale, which is a representation of the ferrous and conductive makeup of a target in a Cartesian plane with conductivity on the X plane and ferrous on the Y, where the conductivity has a range of one to 50 and the ferrous has a range to one to 35, resulting in 1750 points of identification or discrimination I'll paint my colors to the mast here and say I love this. This is why I still use the CTX. And while talking about the CTX and VDI, I have to mention Target Trace, which is essentially a heat map created using the amplitude of each target signal to create an ever-increasing or better picture of what the target or targets are under the coil with every swing. It's very handy in identifying a ferrous target beside a gray target. And if you only relied on audio, this would represent itself as an iffy target and maybe you would have ignored it. 
this seems to be a mind lab thing with the new manticore having it and the previous e-track and explorer se also having a previous version of SmartFind. the deus and legend have a similar version of this where the iron content is represented on a separate bar to the conductivity but the net effect is the same you have two data streams for you to take on board to make a call on dig no dig there are other VDIs to consider beyond the makeup of the target. For example, how deep the target is. Obviously, this can be useful. However, remember, these are normally calibrated to an American quarter. So if it's smaller, it can show as deeper and vice versa. So if you get a signal saying it's six inches deep and you dig six inches and it's not there, there's a good chance it's bigger than a quarter. And the opposite is true if you dig it and it's out of the hole after two inches it's going to be smaller than a quarter. There are other features and even other detectors that have unique VDIs, bordering on geophys and ground radar, such as the Nocta and Vineo. I'd love to get my hands on one of those, but the 10K price tag is a stretch. I won't chat about GPS as it's a feature on some VDIs, but it really isn't a data stream to help you dig or not dig. So what do I think? What do I believe to be the most important? Because... There are people out there who will say one way or another. And if you do one way, you're wrong for the following reasons. Now, I have my own preference. And in thinking about this episode, I had to examine myself to why I thought that way. And all I can come up with is your preference is governed by your learning style. Don't forget your success with your detector is down to how well you can remember all data streams and how you remember the last time you were faced with the VDI number and the tone and then you have to adjust your memory for that every time you come across a similar situation or target. So I'll talk about my learning style first and see if you can guess what data stream I rely on most. My learning style is a mix between audible and visual with audible being the more prominent. So you can guess, yes, I prefer audible. However, I also learn visually, so I actually rely on both. But because of this, I narrow down my scope by only going for five tones mixed with how many range points on the VDI. So if you're a person who primarily learns audibly, then of course, you're going to have more success listening to the audio data stream and vice versa if you're a visual learner. If you learn by writing down things, then it may be appropriate for you to write in a little notebook what tone and VDI your good targets gave real time. This will help you learn and speed up your data processing because remember, it's not the detector that makes the decision to dig or not dig. It's you based on your previous learned experience. Ideally, you should try to use every piece of information your detector is presenting to you and to simply focus on one while disregarding the others is short-sighted and is simply down to your learning style. So we have another question for the doctor from PI Pirate on the Discord server. Now, I need to apologize to everybody on the Discord server. I have totally neglected it, but I do commit to getting back in there and driving it on. I did ask you all to join it, and then I'm just terrible with emails and social media and stuff like that, so I, I need to really just focus and get back in there. Anyways, I have a question from PI Pirate on the server. Dr. Detector, what are some good habits to have when it comes to charging our new fangled detectors with built-in rechargeable batteries. Wait till almost depleted or at any level of remaining charge. And what are some bad habits of charging? So I did a quick check just to see what type of batteries are most popular out there on detectors. 
and I've compiled this list. CTX is a lithium ion. The Manticore, the Knox 800, and the Knox series are all lithium ions. So Mine Lab favor lithium ion. The Simplex and Legend are lithium polymer. So Nocta favor the lithium polymer battery. So the XB Deus and Deus 2 are lithium polymer too. So the main differences are lithium ion uses a liquid electrolyte and lithium polymer or lipo uses a gel-like electrolyte. Lithium ion is almost three times cheaper than lithium polymer, but lithium polymer can be shaped into any shape and is almost perfect for a detector. However, you need a larger lipo battery for the same energy density as a lithium ion battery, but lipos are also safer. So all lithium based batteries are the same when it comes to charging. They all use the CCCV scheme, which is constant current, constant voltage. Most lipos and lithium ions in detectors operate at 4.2 volts DC max. So using the CC-CV scheme on lithium batteries will charge constantly at a constant current and a constant voltage till your battery hits the max voltage of 4.2. It will then taper off the current till the battery is fully charged, but we'll come back to this now later. So storing a LiPo and a lithium ion battery. It's actually recommended to store a lithium based battery at 50% charge and at constant temperature and humidity. So to maximize the battery's life, minimize temperature and humidity fluctuations. Don't leave your detector in your hot or cold trunk of your car. Don't let your charge go to minimum or store close to minimum as if it goes below minimum or is at minimum for too long, you're risking damaging the battery as well. Don't keep it at max for too long for the same reasons. What I mean here is you're using only 2-3% to of the battery when you go out for a little hunt and then charge it back up to 100% again. That's doing your battery damage. Do not fast charge your battery. That is using any charger above 1.3 amps or 1300 milliamps. Some of the manuals say, oh, stick it on two amp charger and you'll be able to charge it up quicker. That will ultimately damage your battery in the long run, right? The recommended fast charge rate is at 1C, which, which is a 1300 milliamps. And that will not degrade your battery when you're charging like that. In relation to charge, keep your battery at 80% charge if you can. That might mean charging to 100% but not charging the battery till it's at about 50%, so at an average of 80%. So I'll wrap up with some other battery myths. Lithium batteries should not be charged unless fully discharged. This is a total myth because this reduces your battery's available battery cycles. So every time your battery fully discharges, it's counted as a cycle, and your battery only has about 500 cycles in it. So you shouldn't let it go fully discharged. Myth number two, leaving it plugged in will overcharge your battery. This is impossible due to the CC-CV scheme, so constant current, constant voltage scheme. The battery simply stops charging when it's full. Myth number three, only use company chargers. It's total bullshit. If you can find a charger that can deliver the correct voltage and correct amperage below 1300 milliamps, you're good to go. And then finally, you must fully charge your battery before first use for at least 24 hours. Nope, that's a myth. In fact, see myth number two for the same reason. Okay, I hope these help you. Thanks PI Pirate for your question. And I promise I'll get back on the Discord server in the coming weeks. 
And that's it, guys. That's it for this week. I hope you like this episode of the Metal Detecting Show podcast. My name is Kieran. I have been detecting badly for the last 30 years. So get out there, eyes down, good luck, and happy hunting. <laughs>